Hi, I'm Matt, and this is Weekends Off, a podcast where we tell stories about what it looks like to work at a church, leave a church staff, and more importantly, what it looks like to find a new career. I was a pastor on staff at a church for six years, and then I became a barista. After that, I got a job in banking, and honestly, I believe that life can be good with Weekends Off. Welcome to Weekends Off. Today, I get to interview a friend of mine, a longtime friend named Tyler Hanley. He used to be a youth pastor that I worked with in Florida, not directly, but we were in a similar community of churches, and he has a really interesting story that I'm excited to share with you guys. We'll spend this episode talking about his church experience, and then the next episode, we'll spend talking about his corporate experience and... Throughout the entire show, we'll talk about the transition from one to the next. I hope you enjoy it. Tyler, welcome to Weekends Off. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh my gosh, thanks for having me, Matt. I've known you probably, I was trying to think, maybe eight years now. <laughs> um, ever since like the mid-2010s. I know that oh I started a ministry when I was, it was 2013. Um, but, uh, but I didn't start hanging out with some other youth pastors at, or at Bayside, which is the church that, that you worked at in Florida that I met you at until probably like 2014 or 2015. But uh, mm-hmm. but through that time, we stayed t- in touch and stayed close and maintained Instagram relationship, <laughs> uh, and, which is... dog tips here and there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Bonding yep. over our, our love of boxers. <laughs> That's right. So I have a boxer named Oliver and he has a girlfriend named Daisy who happens to be owned also by Tyler. And, uh, and so we have bonded. I think we actually got our dogs, what, within a couple of months of each other. Is that right? Literally. I, during the puppy phase, I, I would just look at your Instagram to see what was coming up in the next few months, which was oh always gosh. something new. <laughs> yeah. I didn't scare you off, hopefully. Oh my no, gosh. No, no. <laughs> I mean, we love, we love our, our dogs. I mean, they're, Boxer's a great dog. Shout out for, for Boxer's as a breed. Yeah. Yeah. Tyler, tell me a little bit about your church resume. What what qualifies you to be on the podcast? Why are you here? Where, where did you start? Um, what what kind of transpired? And then where what are you doing now? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, so in terms of like church career, I started out uh, at a church in Florida called Bayside. And I uh, worked there for a couple of years in their main campus. I was, um, you know, started out what they called a ministry coordinator, but for a good majority of the time there, I was um, acting as a sort of an associate youth director. Um, there for a couple of years, I ended up getting involved with a church plant in San Francisco called Sozo. Um, so I moved across the country and was part of what they called um, the, the sort of launch team, um, the core team that moved there to get things kicked off. And I was in San Francisco for four years, um, never worked at Sozo, but was definitely invested, involved. Um, and then uh, from there, uh, I, I moved to New York. Um, I currently work in tech um, in sort of the tech business world, if you will put it that way. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm at now. Yeah, and you have weekends off. And, and I have weekends off for the first time <laughs> in quite some time, yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that's perfect. And, and I'm, I'm so glad that you joined because I think your story is a, a really good example of what we're looking to explore on this podcast, this project, where essentially we're talking to people who used to work in church and don't anymore. 
And I know that there are a lot of people that are going through that journey and are looking for resources and, and ex- essentially just examples of, hey, who is somebody that I know that used to be really involved in church and made the transition out of that involvement and now fa- found a job in the corporate world? Because I, I'm curious to know, did you feel like you didn't have skills that you could offer to the outside world? Like, were you scared about trying to find a job that wasn't a church job? Yeah, well, you know, I didn't even know, it it wasn't even really on my radar for a long time. Like not working in ministry um, was such a a, a non-option for me for for the longest time. Um, You know, things changed and I eventually in San Francisco um, became aware of of what kind of opportunities were out there. But I I definitely kind of fumbled through it for a while, Um, you know, had, had a lot to learn. So I hope if if, uh, if there's any learnings I can share that, you know, they can be useful to people listening. Yeah, I, and I'm sure that there will be. I mean, honestly, even just an example would be great. And uh, and I'm, I'm excited to talk to you because your career experience is different than mine. And I got to share, share a little bit about mine um, in the previous episodes. But um, I, I'm personally excited to hear about yours. And, <laughs> uh, and we'll talk about that as well. But let's start by just understanding the origins of how you got involved in church work. So did you go to church growing up? How did that go? Um, just tell me about young Tyler, like pre-church <laughs> work, just Sure. Um, getting involved in church. And then once we talk about that, let's talk about a little bit of the a moment or any defining moments where you decided that, hey, I actually want to not just attend a church, but maybe do this for my career. Totally. Yeah. Um, well, I always grew up, you know, Christian. Um, originally, my family went to a Baptist church, but pretty early on in my childhood, we actually moved to Bayside, which for anyone who doesn't know, it's a non-denominational church. Um, in Florida, and I got pretty involved um, early on. I will say Bayside had um, a, a massive and sort of engaging uh, volunteer sort of system and, and team, and um, it's where I made a lot of friends. And so as I sort of grew up in the church and continued to, you know, volunteer and go on trips and get really, you know, bought into the vision and, and all that was going on there, um, you know, it's a, it's really it's a community um, as much as it is uh, an activity. Um, I'd say, you know, in my mid-teens, I started to realize some of my uh, um, older friends were looking for jobs at the church, or there were people that I admired that were full-time employees. And I think from there, it was like, that's what I want to do. You know, I want to do ministry uh, in whatever capacity, and I would love to make money doing it, um, more just to be able to spend all my time doing it. Um, that's honestly how I felt sort of early on before I, before I started working. Yeah, I get that. I, I think my story parallels that too. And I, I bet a lot of people, a lot of us that started young is we started to look up to people that were in staff roles. And we said, hey, if I could do that, that would be awesome. I, yeah. I not only want to be like this person, but I want to have a similar impact on people that maybe they had on me. So tell me about the the pursuit of a church job. Was that hard? Uh, was it a long season? Like, how did you end mm. up actually getting offered a job? And um as well as the pursuit, tell me about actually receiving the job offer and how that felt. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, it was, I will say, looking back on that season where I sort of knew I wanted it, knew what was potentially in the works, and then it came to 
came to happen, it was a very exciting time for me. I was really stoked. Um, I was also 17 when I started working at Bayside. So wow. very young. I was at the time, I remember working at PacSun and Starbucks and, you know, just, just figuring things out. I was in, I was in high school. So those are the kind of jobs you typically had. Um, but, uh, I think, Sort of the couple of years leading up to that, again, I was young, but I was extremely involved. And I think that the people above me saw a lot of promise, um, really believed in me and knew that um, I, I was really, I, I think at that point, I was very vocal that I had a calling to to do ministry, to preach or to pastor. And so um, our lovely friend, Nate Fox, was kind of the one who um, was currently uh, leading that that youth department and leading me and um, was really probably the main reason I, I got that job. I remember he, he pulled me aside one time. I was probably, I think it was like soon after my 17th birthday and told me something along the lines of like, hey, um, I just want you to know that, you know, all your efforts and your passion, they're not being um, ignored, they're being noticed. And I remember he just said, like, I just want you to know, like, a job is, 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 is in the works. It's definitely something we're talking about. Um, and it wasn't long after that that I think a need arised or we were growing really fast as, a, as an organization. And uh, I was offered a, a part-time role. And so I think it was, I remember it was like 20 hours a week or something like that. So, so I remember I, I did keep like another side gig, but, um, but that was it. I was on staff and I got my fob and as a, as a 17 year old kid, I was ecstatic. I couldn't believe it. I, I love the mention of the fob because there are these <laughs> things like I remember I, yes. my church was low tech. Like we didn't have fobs. We had, <laughs> we had a uh, keys, but, um, but yeah, I mean, there are these like, these uh, relics that represent having access and being, being having, having, yeah, (laughs) status and permission. Uh Um, I I think when I received my job and I'm curious to know if you had a similar feeling, like I finally felt like I had the support and permission to do the thing that I thought Mm. I was called to do. And, um, and that's, it's definitely something that's a big deal. So did you feel like that? Like I finally have been given the church stamp of approval that I had been looking for to do this thing that I thought I, I already knew I wanted to do. The, the fob was so visceral. It was like, <laughs> I just kept looking at it. I remember I took a picture of it immediately, posted it on Instagram with a little, with a background or what was it? A, a border. That was when Instagram was big on borders. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, yeah. I was stoked to be able to sort of walk through the same doors that other people I admired walk through, which now, you know, sounds kind of funny to, to have cared so much about, but, um, you know, at a, at a large scale organization like Bayside, there were hierarchies and a lot of them were very, um, desirable. And even just to be able to, um, associate myself with all these people that I admired, I think was a big part of it. Yeah. Did you get a name badge? Totally. You You know, I think we didn't get those until later, but those eventually came down the road once we got larger. I think, you know, at one point, I think our staff was like three, 350 people, and we were required to wear our our name tags towards the end of of my time there, um, pretty much all the time. Did they have a... 
a color or something that like represented staff? Was it like a color or a, a did it say staff underneath of it or something? It it was definitely like you knew if you were wearing a staff badge that it was not the volunteer badge. It was the staff badge. It said mm-hmm. I think it said staff on it. It was definitely blue and had your name and pretty letters. <laughs> yep. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This is just taking me back to like remembering some of those moments of like when I first got offered a job and like all of the feelings that I associated that and the, and the feeling of just accomplishment and uh, mm-hmm. validation. Uh, because for a lot of people that are trying to get a church job and um, because oftentimes that's how it works. Like it's almost a prerequisite to get a job most of the time to, to confirm confess that you've been called to the role. Mm-hmm. Um, and most yeah. churches, they won't give you the opportunity until you've, you've like very clearly stated how badly you want it. Sure. And, uh, and sometimes the gap of time between it, confessing the desire and being given the permission, that gap for some people is, is infinite where they never even get offered the position. Um, but for other people it's years. And in, in some cases it's months, but, um, or, totally. or weeks, but uh, but yeah, that moment of having get, received the job, I, I mean, I know how it felt because of my time at the chapel and having gotten the job, and I know how badly I wanted the key fob whenever I was at Elevation, you know what I mean? Like, I get it's it, about. and it's, uh, it's <laughs> man, I feel it. Okay, um, let's let's keep going. So, so tell me about some of the things that you did as a youth pastor. Like, do you have some really positive memories and things that you look back at and you're like, man, that was a cool moment or a cool event or, man, yeah. the relationship I had with this one student was really cool. A hundred percent. I think there were three things that I really um, took from the job that I really enjoyed. Um, you know, the one the one part being that I loved communicating. Um, I loved. Um, having a platform and, you know, as we would say, kind of the lingo, you know, speaking into people's lives um, and and really, um, you know, well, speaking the word of God. Uh, that to me was so exciting and engaging and it was also a craft. So it felt good to continually get better, um, you know, have more effective um you know, sermons. Yeah. But, I want to tell you, Tyler, because yeah. you, you had a reputation of being a great communicator and one, oh and gosh. I don't know how, how you, if you know how that was communicated, but I remember, um, coming on the weekends at, at one point, And I think we had brought some students to just like, see what was going on at Bayside and essentially like try to, we would use the phrase like catch the vision or something. And, <laughs> uh, and I remember you were speaking one weekend and somebody was like, Tyler's a great speaker. It may have even been Nate. I don't remember who told me. Um, but anyways, just to, to give you a, a moment of, of, of additional affirmation, um, that was a, a reputation that you held. So I'm glad to hear that you loved it. And I oh. also want to insert that it was something that was recognized by people. Oh, well, that's very sweet. <laughs> I definitely loved it. And um, yeah, I felt like something I was good at, you know, which is always a good feeling. Um, but, you know, Outside of that, that was one part of it. I think the other side that really impacted me was the the kids. And, um, you know, I, I would say I, I really fell in love with my students. Um, it was so large that at times there were so many students I didn't necessarily know, um, as well as, you know, when, let's say when we were just smaller, but I had like a team of, of volunteers that I, that I ran and, um, got really close with them. And again, um, these environments are so relational and, and so much about, um, 
community. And so you just build these, these strong relationships. And I think when I would um, you know, be pulled aside by a student who's dealing with issues at home, who's dealing with health concerns or addiction or whatever. I mean, a multitude of things these kids are going through. Um, just to be um, pulled aside to comfort or to give advice, um, I just think it was it was sort of immeasurable, you know, to have that kind of voice in someone's life and to see positive change that you've hopefully uh, helped with in some way. So that was huge for me. I used to, I remember getting in my car, um, you know, stop at Starbucks, uh, drive to the church. And I really would think like, I can't believe I get to do this every day. That was a sentiment I had for a long time. Um, so it's kind of the second part. And then I guess the third really, uh, I, I actually started to fall in love with the organizational piece of the job. And so I was very um, logistical in a sense, like I, I helped kind of plan um, our service structure and I helped plan our volunteer structure and we had events that we would throw. And I got really into sort of all of that. And that I would say is where a lot of my actual career skills started to be developed that helped me down the road. Um, but yeah, those three things, those are sort of, um, highlights of, of that job. All right, Tyler, we have been doing this thing called weekends off questions, which is just a fun question about weekends and having them off. And the first question that I want to ask you, that's a weekends off question is what's your ideal weekend dinner spot on the weekends? I love eating out. Um, but there's this one place in particular, uh, here in New York that I adore. The name is quite a mouthful. It's called Gotino Enoteca e Salumeria. And I don't know what that means, but they serve mainly appetizers. So I'll go there and have like a plate of various appetizers with friends, a glass of wine, and they have a back garden. And I go there way too much. I'm curious to know if your feelings on on volunteerism had changed once you left full-time ministry and and maybe mm -hmm. how it changed while you were at Sozo when we're not on the payroll and and right. maybe it was it was clear and you you had already kind of known that the expectation was that essentially you're not getting paid but you are full-time um but I so now that you're in a new role and you look back at some of those volunteers that were working those 40, 50 hours and, and yep. you knew a little bit more about, hey, this is what it's like to work a full-time job that's not in the church and then having to do that on top. Like what what level volunteer would you be nowadays? <laughs> what, what would you uh, right. permiss, <laughs> yeah, be permissible for you? Oh, gosh. Yeah, well, well, um, I would say probably um, a, a positive of, of leaving the payroll when I um, was part of the, the church plant in San Francisco is that I was for a couple of years a full-time volunteer as well as a full-time employee, you know, not at the church. So I think I got firsthand experience in, in terms of what it's like to um, serve in that capacity. And uh, the experience serving at a church plant, I wouldn't say was that much more intense than it would have been as a full-time volunteer at, let's say, like a mega church. I think actually the workloads are fairly similar depending how much time you put in. And I think maybe that's the key is that you really could put in as much time as you physically wanted and it would be, you know, accepted with open arms. Um, 
And maybe that's where things start to veer towards a potentially detrimental sort of level. Um, at least I know from, from my personal experience, burnout started to happen really quickly when I was working 40 hours a week, as well as my free time being spent, you know, serving at a church, um, let alone not having weekends off. Um, yeah, I think my perspective now is 100% changed. I think volunteering is so important in any industry, whether it's, you know, um, the church world or, or elsewhere. Um, but it's so important to foster those volunteers well. And I think um, pay more attention to their well-being and livelihood than the, you know, the, the work that they can do for you. Tyler, tell me about a volunteer, if you can, and if you can't remember a specific example, that's totally okay. But was there ever a time where there was a high-level volunteer that started to experience burnout and essentially came to you and, and stepped away or stepped down from their church job? How did you maintain relationship or what was the, like one week, two weeks, a month down the line, did you, do you feel like you still talk to that person? Was it the same level of relationship? Did you see that relationship degrade as you shifted your focus towards the next volunteer in the role? Or do you remember any of those situations and, and those relationships, how they change when people would step out of volunteering? Yeah, um, totally. I, I would almost say the fact that I cannot remember too many examples of a volunteer coming to us, talking through burnout and leaving maybe speaks to um, that not really being a, a social norm, um, especially in Florida, at least. But I do remember times that would that would happen when someone's personal life was being, you know, clearly affected um, from a variety of, of facets, one of which probably being their level of, of service to the church, where we would take someone and, and, and have a conversation with them and, and pretty much tell them it was time for them to step down or take on less work or operate at a different capacity. So uh, kind of a similar outcome. And, uh, you know, to your question, like the, the volunteer sort of teams and, um, communities, while I think, you know, virtuous for so many reasons, they did come with a level of um, exclusion, I feel like, to those who weren't part of them. And I would certainly lose touch with people when they started to no longer serve. So let's say they moved towards, um, you know, greeting at the doors and then, you know, attending service and, and then leaving for the day. Those people were around less, were involved less. And, and from my perspective, they weren't, um, you know, at least in that position and, and, and at that time, they weren't people that I needed to spend my time investing in, which, you know, as we'll talk about today, there are um, a multitude of things that I did or partook, part, partook in, um, <laughs> I was involved in that I would definitely change, you know, now if I, if I could. Well, that's a great time to actually make that transition. So let's talk about that. So what are some of the regrets that you had thinking back about your time at both Sozo and at Bayside? Yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's a good question. I think... When I was at Bayside, um, my experience was was mostly positive. Um, I, I was just in love with the job, in love with the work, and 
probably from the Bayside perspective, the main regrets are more to do with like fundamental uh, beliefs and how those affected people who were under me. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, some decisions that I was a part of um, for students that, let's say, came to us about um, certain situations in their life that we, um, you know, either disagreed with or weren't aligned with and sort of the actions we took there. I have some some very deep-rooted regrets um, uh, from that capacity. And that really just comes from someone who's, <laughs> who's gone through deconstruction. And you start to take uh, stock of, of the decisions you've made while you were, while you were in the church world. Um, my more uh, like tangible regrets or, or like practical regrets, I would say definitely took place in San Francisco when I experienced um, intense burnout. Um, and, I, and I guess the regret there would be not um, prioritizing my time and prioritizing my capacity. Um, I wanted to be validated. I wanted to be accepted. And there was this very real fear that if I stepped down, I would be sort of looked down upon. Um, and, and it's not necessarily something that was taught or spoken about, but it's something that existed. Um, so I would definitely have taken more time for myself and and probably avoided um, some of the mental health you know um, challenges I went through those couple of years when you talk about leaving or stepping down or, or essentially not stepping down from your role at sozo do you feel like like what percentage of that is you feeling like you would have failed um, because you came out there right to be a part of it and that and, mm -hmm. and maybe maybe I'm misunderstanding your the full breadth of the reasoning of the move. But um, when you moved out to to California to San Francisco to be a part of Sozo, was was the goal to be a fixture in the plant? Like I'm going to be here to to make this thing happen. Was that your perspective? Oh, a hundred percent. You know, I, I went there, and maybe again, this is more just part of the culture. But I was. I was assuming in my head that we would go, we would plant this church, it would blow up, and then jobs would open, and down the road I would take a role. and And I, I saw myself like as an executive, as you know, a, a lead campus pastor, as someone really yeah. important, really important. Um, and so, while I was there, I was volunteering with intention. Um, I definitely knew that if I wasn't plugged in or, or stepped down, my chances of pursuing that career um, would be over. And to my point earlier, I didn't even know of other options. It, it really wasn't an option to step down for me. Um, I had never yeah. considered pursuing a career that wasn't within the church. Yeah, so, so tell me about that feeling, right? So, so did you end up stepping down? Was that a, a moment for you where you made that decision? Yeah, it, it's it's a complicated story because um, two years into the church plant, uh, COVID happened, and um, we basically you know shut down our our brick and mortar operations for like you know I don't even know for a long time. Um, we eventually picked up a virtual presence again, um, but at that point, I would say COVID was pivotal in a lot of changes in my life. Um, which led to more of a conceptual change for me. I didn't really physically step down, yet my my goals and my um, kind of my hopes and dreams for what would happen in my life completely changed between, um, you know, deconstruction and observation of, of kind of 
the products that the church pushes out and the, the, the experiences that some people have. I think I had some time to really think through um, my own life and other people's experiences. Um, during COVID, I came out and, and frankly, that was a, a pivotal moment because I was, you know, I wasn't permitted to do certain things at the church that were considered, you know, public um, if I was if I was out and if I was proud about it. And were there? Yeah. No, go ahead. Then feeling not able to do certain roles, was that explicitly shared to you or was that just based on previous conversations you had heard of about other people or or with other people? Yeah, I think the whole sort of understanding that I couldn't do certain things was very subtle. But being in San Francisco, our church obviously had a lot of exposure to, you know, to to queer individuals who who attended the church, even who volunteered at the church. Um, I can say that I, I I asked around about one particular volunteer who was sort of working their way up and knew without a doubt that there was limit to what they were allowed to to do. Really both at, at Bayside, I'd say I'd say Sozo was was a bit more um, I don't want to say uh, accepting, um, but had a bit more uh, physical space for for people, um, for queer people. But um, the point is that, sorry, I'm actually losing my train of thought. What was I saying? No, that's okay. So we were just talking that's about, um, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking about. Did somebody specifically say Tyler? Mm. Um, we we now know that that you've you have. Uh, expressed your uh sexuality or your mm -hmm. uh interests right so you you have identified as queer and and now that means that you cannot do these things or was it more so like was there a moment where you yeah, told everybody yeah. and and again yeah. was this during covid was it was it after covid i mean know that you said that you you had kind of um made some decisions and some realizations about yourself during that that kind of off season mm -hmm. yeah yeah, totally. Um, so it, it was never, I would say, 100% explicit for me. Um, when I came out, I had already been sort of pulling back from from volunteering. So I think if I were still trying to pursue a position of, um, of leadership or a public sort of position, I would have been faced with certain conversations around my ability to do that. And uh, and, and like I'm, I said, I had seen it happen to other volunteers. Um, and I, without using names, I'll be very frank about someone else that, that, um, that came out during that period of time who um, was, was actually one of the, the worship sort of ministers. They were singing on the, on the church band and they were, um, they were told explicitly that they were not allowed to do that anymore um, because they were out and because they were um, open about their sexuality. And so I think for me, that sort of adjacent uh, uh, happenstance was, was very you know, telling for, for what would happen if I was interested in pursuing anything more than my very limited um, volunteering at that time. Yeah, and do you did you grieve the the inability to volunteer at a higher level, or at that point were you kind of accepting of it, and you were like, "Hey, that's fine." Yeah, I think I think that period of time for me involved a lot of shifting in what I was prioritizing, and I think that I I think I was grieving, and I didn't 
really realize I was. Um, yeah. It was just overall a very complicated, scary, kind of challenging period of time. Um, but ultimately, I was so burnt out that I had no desire to um, serve in any capacity anymore. And uh, and so those feelings of like, oh, I cannot, I can't do this or I can't do that, they didn't really come up so tangibly because I was already sort of checked out. Um, I think down the road and, you know, even today, um, we're talking about my love for, for preaching. And um, sometimes I, I really do think about how much I loved those things. And perhaps if, if this church had been, you know, 100% affirming, maybe I would have wanted to speak and, and speak into people's lives and, you know, um, expand positivity and, and who knows. But, but certainly um, it's something that... Uh, it's something that I can't have anymore, at least in those environments. Yeah. Well, on that subject, is there anything that um, you feel like you haven't said that you want to say, or do you are you ready to move on? Um, I think that I'll say, you know, I am not attending a church right now, but when I moved to New York, um, I, I wanted to um, give it a chance, and I uh, started going to this church, this lovely, lovely church called uh, Good Shepherd um, in the Chelsea neighborhood, and for me, uh, as someone that kind of went through this transition, um, not knowing that there were really any environments from a church perspective that I had access to, it was such a beautiful experience going to a church like this, one that is 100% affirming, like fundamentally down to their belief system, affirming of, of, um, you know, of gay people. And so to go and sort of worship again for the first time in a while and read and, um, you know, uh, have community, it was a really beautiful experience. And I would just encourage anyone who may be going through something similar and is still, um, you know, interested in finding a, a church community to, to do some research. Um, you know, I, I'm not currently going, um, and that's for really other reasons, but I, I really admired that community and, and what it gave me for, for about the year that I went when I moved here. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, it, it reminds me of the conversation that we started with around the receiving of the key fob mm. and the permission to be who you are. Mm, and and into in parallel, I feel like maybe you going to, was it called Good Shepherd? Good Shepherd, yeah. Yeah, walking on that campus, I felt like you received a, a similar key fob moment. Would you agree? A hundred percent. Yeah, I, I really was given. And, and, you know, even funny enough, I started volunteering there for, for a period of time. Um, I felt like I wanted to give back. Uh, so it was actually quite full circle. Um, and, uh, and certainly it, it was like important for me to feel that sort of um, acceptance. And I would say a bit of healing, like, ah, church, I, I don't have to remember church as being just one thing, if that makes sense. All right, it's time for another Weekends Off question. Just a fun question about weekends. So Tyler, describe your ideal Sunday morning. And this can involve church or not. That's up to you. Totally. Um, these days, it, it does not involve church. It involves a lot of rest. Um, I've been trying to have really active, fun Saturdays, but Sundays I've been trying to just keep them chill. Um, so if I had to pick an ideal Sunday, 
definitely getting brunch. I am a sucker for brunch at like 1130 uh, at the earliest <laughs> and uh, hanging out with friends. Um, not anything too heavy. I hate like a really uh, massive breakfast where I feel sick the rest of the day because ideally I would then go explore a neighborhood I like, maybe go to a bookstore, grab a new book, definitely hit up a park. Um, and then I, I really love an afternoon brewery moment. Um, just to, again, see some friends, grab a pint, sit in the sun. Um, to me, that is like just an ideal moment. Um, yeah, and I don't know what else. I think usually just cleaning up and getting ready for, for the week ahead, but, but uh, that would be a pretty perfect Sunday. Maybe I'm thinking about Sunday tomorrow. Maybe I will partake. Wow. Yeah. That, I just got goosebumps <laughs> hearing you talk about that because I mean, it is right. I feel like, um, those of us that have left church work, we're looking for this. So our, our own like cognitive, um, reconciliation where mm -hmm. we had an experience that we thought was so good. And now we're on the other side of it and we have regrets about that experience and the people that were involved, we once thought that they were so good and we held them on this high pedestal, but then we look back and go, Hey, actually maybe some of the things that they did were not okay. Mm -hmm. and and trying to find a way to marry those two things. And, and you and I had a conversation off mic um, earlier about both or yes and or mm -hmm. um, like these two dualities that exist at the same time. And, and I think that this is the, a, a central message for this podcast, which is there are people that have worked in churches that thought it was great. And they thought I would never do anything else for the rest of my life. And everything that I'm doing now, it, it fulfills me to the nth degree. Like, what else could I ever do? And, and I know that I had been, I've been transparent in saying that I told anyone who would, who would listen that I am called to full-time staff ministry mm -hmm. for, the, for my entire life. And now I do not do that. And, having, and, and I have to fight this urge to to essentially like review or, uh, or adjust or edit my, my previous statements and be like, well, maybe I felt called to just be somebody who inspires and cares for others. You know what I mean? But no, that's not, that's, I, I can't do a revision on what I had believed in order to make it fit better because that would be disingenuous and it wouldn't be the truth because I, that's not what I thought. I thought I was going to be on staff at a church the rest of my life. Yeah. And I do not do that. And, um, and so anyways, that there's a moment for you that maybe it doesn't solve that, that one tension, but a moment for you where you're able to look back and go, hey, maybe some of the things about church that I really enjoyed, they can still exist maybe in a new context. Um, and, and it can be just as enjoyable as it ever was. Yeah, 100%. It's out there for anyone who needs it. Um, I think you can find the the communities that resonate with you and that are healthy for you. Um, and, and, and as well, if you if you don't need it, then that's fine as well. Um, I think for me, just being able to hold the whole story with open hands and with um, gentleness. And, and again, this is, I, I mentioned to you earlier, this has been the year of both for me, understanding that there are good things and bad things that exist side by side in my past. And I value all of them. Um, yeah. I love what you said yeah. though. Yeah. Th thank you. I mean, you, it's, it's your story that reminds me of it. And I'm, I'm glad that, that you had that experience because I can only imagine the amount of healing that it was 
And, and for those of us on the other side, we need those moments of healing, um, of mm-hmm. heal, like a, a situation that essentially like repairs the neurology <laughs> Seriously. Of, 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 the, of your brain and what's happening. Right. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. okay. Well, I, and the, the moving on that I had suggested earlier is I, I know that, um, there are people that are working in church today that might be considering a move. And one of the biggest questions they have is what would the transition look like? And I'm curious to know, so the big transition that you did, and um, and it's maybe a little bit different than mine or, or some other people that might be transitioning directly into a non-church role, but it's still leaving. Um, I'm curious to know how that went at Bayside. So how was the conversation we can start with, the conversation of, well, maybe back up. I know that I didn't even say it, but let's back up even before what I was about to say, which is, um, is the realization that maybe you wanted to take a step away from Bayside, like where there, were there, um, some underlying motivations where you were like, Hey, this thing, maybe it was, uh, feeling a lack of, of upward mobility, or maybe it was just feeling an unsettling. Um, but what made you even consider going to Sozo and not telling, um, Jason and the crew over there, like you wish, uh, like why, why did you even start to entertain the idea of moving out there? Yeah. You know, um, that kind of whole experience was extremely, um, you know, regardless of kind of like where I sit with, with theology and the things that I believe, um, at that point it was what I would have called, um, a a God moment. You know, I, uh, was, was really kind of killing it in my role at Bayside in terms of just feeling pretty fulfilled and, um, pretty good at what I was doing. Um, I felt like things were, were running like a, like a well-oiled machine. Um, well, two of my most favorite people in the world, Nate and Kayla Fox, they moved uh, to San Francisco, which happened about a year before I decided to make the move myself. Um, They were going for this church plant and it kind of sat in the back of my head, this concept of leaving and doing something else. And I remember going to visit them, even meeting uh, people, other people who were who were moving as well to start the church. And I had this overwhelming feeling of, I've got to be here. I, I want to do this, as well as just exposure to one of the most beautiful cities. Um, I remember my, uh, my oversight at the time at Bayside gave me a call and in a very typical way that one might not relate to unless you are, are from the church world, but told me that God had put something on their heart that morning, which was that I should oh. consider. <laughs> yes, yes. So when I say a God moment, uh, there was a moment where, yeah, I, I was told that that God may be pushing me to, to move to San Francisco. Um, at that point, it almost felt like permission. And um, the crazy thing is, I think it was about two months later, I moved across the country. And uh, thankfully, um, folks at Bayside were really supportive. Um, there was really no um, no argument for me leaving. Um, I think people thought that it was uh, a passion or a calling or something that I should partake in. I, I was also pretty young and um, not necessarily uh, holding too much power, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, However, I remember the transition more um, practically was really complicated, sort of 
getting rid of all my responsibilities. I had a couple of trips lined up that I had to attend. And I say had because I begged to not have to go on those trips and oh no. And still had to go. <laughs> Literally. These were like before. um like mission missions yeah. type trips. Yep. I was leading on two missions trips for the two months before I moved. And as you can imagine, uh, a 19 year old moving across the country was freaking out. <laughs> and so, yeah. um, so there was a lot going on, but I got through it and ultimately, um, had some of the best years of, of my life. Once I moved, um, it's just a really exciting period of time, but yeah, it was again, as we spoke about earlier, more of a transitional period until my next church job, which I had no sort of sense of when that would be, but I, I, I definitely saw it coming. Yeah. How did they announce you leaving at Bayside? Yeah. Uh, we, we pulled all of our, what we called our student leaders, which we had a ton of, of people kind of, uh, tied into our leadership team. And after service one day, we, we brought them around, um, and, uh, made the announcement. Uh, we said our farewells. Um, it was actually quite emotional for everyone. Um, you know, some of these incredible kids that I just loved, loved so much, um, say goodbye. Uh, it's, it's, I'm sure as you know, a really, uh, an emotional time. Um, and then at our staff meeting, which again, we had these, these massive staff meetings that we'd host, host on, uh, on Wednesdays. Um, they brought me up on, on stage and they announced my moving. Um, and, and I actually remember, um, the, the executive or the pastor who was sort of running my farewell, um, announcement, um, said some words that were that were really sweet. I felt really um, appreciated, really honored. And so um, in leaving, I felt very uh, equipped to leave, which I think is not the case for everyone. So I'm thankful for that. Um, and I think I, I felt cared for in the in the saying goodbye part. Yeah, I love that. I it 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 does make me sad <laughs> because of course I'm going to compare that to, to my own personal leaving experience, but, um, sure, but man, sure. I'm, I'm really glad that you had that opportunity and, um, and with the students accepting and, uh, they were, I, I'm obviously, I'm sure it was very emotional. I, I remember when my youth pastor left, whenever I was in high school still, um, he did something similar where he brought the, uh, the youth together. It was, was yours on like an off night or was it like before or after a service? When we said goodbye, the students yeah. and I. Yeah, that was, I believe it was just a Sunday after church, you know. We asked everyone to mm -hmm. stay for an hour, and um, and they did. And um, yeah, I, I, everyone was very supportive, very excited for me, if not a bit frazzled, because just a year earlier, um, their their pastors, Nate and Kayla, had taken off for San Francisco. So yeah. it was a bit of a, oh my gosh, what's next? Um, yeah. Do you still keep in touch with any of those student leaders? Um, not really, which I don't think is for any particular reason. Um, you know, as you sort of transition from your teens to adulthood, I just think a lot of things change. I'm certainly, you know, still follow a lot of, a lot of folks and, and will, you know, comment here and there or like each other's pictures. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, frankly, um, again, not to bring it back to this, but uh, when I when I came out, I lost a lot of followers, and I no think that way. there are yeah yeah it's how it goes. Um, there's those that are supportive, and I'd say that the the ones that were um, I am very fond of in terms of like you know again 
we'll comment on their pictures, we'll shoot them a message here and there. But but at this point, it's been it's been years, and and uh, I've definitely lost touch with I would say most everyone from that time in my life. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry to hear that. I mean, it, it's obviously. I don't know if that it matters if I'm sorry, but I, just hearing that definitely grieves me, and um, I'm surprised by it. But obviously, um, that's just a, an experience that I I don't personally I've not experienced that. So I'm I'm glad that you're able to share. I'm glad that I'm able to know that. And um, and man, if I had known that, maybe I would have reached out to kind of help balance the scales in the other direction a little Aww. bit. You know what I mean? Um, if I, I think that you did, Matt, yeah. you've always, you've always been around and you've, <laughs> okay, always, you've always been there. Um, yeah. no, it, it's, it's kind of a rite of passage. So, you know, yeah. it is what it is. <laughs> well, um, to, to help put a, an end on this portion of the conversation, just talking about your church experience, I'm curious to know if you were able to grab coffee or pizza or tacos with yourself, um, back whenever you were 17 and, and obviously yourself now. Um, what would you tell, or maybe even not 17, maybe it was when you were leaving or maybe it was a moment, um, in San Fran. What if, what if I put it this way? If, if you could time travel to a, a, a really pivotal moment, um, in mm. your, your leaving experience, where would you tra- travel to? What time period, what was happening? And then what type of advice would you give yourself? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I feel like I feel like there's probably some people that might assume I would go back and tell my 17-year-old self not to take the job, but um, actually, I, I, I don't think I would do that. Um, I think that those years sort of um, being part of the church, while they were, again, both very good, very bad in different ways, um, it really formed me as a person and has led to who I am today. Um, I think I would probably go talk to myself soon after or soon before um, leaving for San Francisco and just give myself some some adult advice, uh, which might be just to just to give myself permission to um, to be open to to really anything to um, understand that life is very long and um, comes with so many changes and each season is beautiful and important and to not be afraid of, of change. Um, and I think what I would tell myself that I've come to realize is that um, I'm actually capable of really anything. And so um, definitely giving myself the space to uh, consider what if, you know, what if I wanted to do this? What if I wanted to do that? I think that at times um, in the past, I, I felt I felt very um, confined to the world that I lived in. And again, I didn't even really think that there were options outside of where I was and what I was doing. So I would just tell myself to have patience, um, be kind to yourself, and be open to uh, having questions and considering other options. Yeah, I love that. I, I think that for most people that are involved in church, the the subculture has such a gravity to it that mm. um, it's easy to create an ecosystem where the only thing that you could ever imagine doing is working in a church. And the only friends that you have are people that are involved in church. And most of the time, people that even are on staff at churches, even if it's other churches. Um, and it's really hard to kind of shatter the, uh, the glass ceiling, you know, to be mm. able to see 100%. beyond. But I love what you said. Life is long. Like, 
I think um, even myself at when I was 27, I think is, um, is when I left the chapel and I moved to North Carolina and then things weren't going well pretty quickly after I moved. And, mm. and I kind of felt like, man, this is, I've already, I have this resume that of, of this job that I've had. And, um, but no, like for me to be able to open my mind and know, you know, I actually have so many years left of my life. And what's crazy now is that I'm in my, the role that I'm in, I think it's been two and a half years now around that. And I still feel like, man, I, I, I feel caught up. Mm. And the fact that I feel caught up to the rest of the world, um, is crazy because I think that I wouldn't have felt that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I still don't feel even caught up to my potential. You know what I sure. mean? I still feel sure. like I should, I go to work and I'm like, man, um, I could do more. Like I, I, there, there are roles that are above me hierarchically that I feel like I could do well. Um, but I don't feel, oh man, I, I don't look down on myself and say, oh, I'm in this, this, uh, really terrible job or terrible place. And, and obviously that has to do, and we'll talk more about career stuff in the next segment, but, um, but it has to do with being surrounded by great people that, that don't, necessarily judge you based on your pedigree but instead mm. judge you based on your skill set um and i'm i've been very lucky with that but yeah Amazing. life is long <laughs> you know shatter the glass ceiling you know <laughs> i know that maybe it feels today like this is the only thing you could ever do but the reality is is that so you're, you're developing soft skills life is long there's so many opportunities and uh, and once you break out of the bubble um i think it's once you leave you start to realize how small it really was Oh, a hundred percent. And and if I can just say one more thing um, before we you know move on to yeah, of course more of the the career stuff. But um, you know something that I've learned that I really believe in now, and I think is just um, a beautiful thing once you come to realize this, is that uh, I would just encourage anyone listening to allow yourself the I guess to how do I put this to believe in yourself enough to be able to scrutinize and question and analyze the things in your life and the beliefs in your life without feeling shame. Um, I think it's been so key to me to uh, come to the realization that if I can't intensely scrutinize the things that I stand for, the things that I'm doing, and the things that I believe, then I ought not to be doing or believing those things. Um, and, and I think a lot of the time, whether it's theology, whether it's, um, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, career or sort of passions or callings, there's a sense of shame to kind of question those things. We have to have this assurance that these things are true and never question because why would I question something I believed in? And I just think that um, it can be really freeing to pursue questioning, to pursue, um, you know, sort of introspection or analysis of the things in your life and not, not need that to lead to change. Just allow yourself the space to sit and observe and question. That's been huge for me. It's led to a lot of sort of mind opening. And I think that, um, you know, people in the world today who are really, who I would consider to be wise, really grounded, well-rounded, this is like a, a daily occurrence for people and, and something that I'm still working on. But um, just want to say that I think that there's a lot of people who need that permission. Um, and I, I would love to give that permission to anyone who who's looking for for that next step. Yeah, I, I think that's so great. And and to be in this season of life, and, and I believe that you're in the same season. So correct me if I'm wrong. But we're in a season where am I a Christian? 
you don't need to answer that question. Mm, yeah. <laughs> or even like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. What does that even mean? I, it, I feel like 100%. I was in a role for so long that required all of these big decisions. Like I'm called to this thing and people would pressure you. Or you have to then you have to then pray about it more in order to come to conclusions. And conclusions were the currency of permission mm-hmm. a lot of times. And mm-hmm. but I mean now I there's no one telling me that I need to make a decision or or make a big statement. And I probably won't because I don't quite know. Uh, and it's not a no 100%. and it's not a yes. And it's like I don't, I don't, I don't think I even care to answer that question because I don't know how how that benefits me in this season. And maybe it would benefit other people that listen to the podcast and what's that would make them either more settled on either side. Maybe somebody would be like, I only want to listen if Matt's Christian, or I only want to listen if he's not. Um, but, totally. uh, but no, I, totally. I sit with the both, you know, with the both. I think uh-huh. I, I've, I've been loving this. I forget where this quote came from, but it said, uh, it said, um, don't let your sense of morality stop you from doing what's right. And I try to live by that because I think the kind of conversation around beliefs and morals can sometimes get in the way of just doing the next right thing. Um, And that's been, to me, a really sort of Christian way of living in the sense of it. Yeah. Well, great. Tyler, thanks so much for for this time. Um, We'll take a break. And then next week, uh, we'll post the conversation about career stuff. I want to learn about what it's like to be a tech person in New York and San Francisco. I mean, Silicon Valley. Is San Fran Silicon Valley? It is, right? It's, um, I mean, Silicon Valley technically is is below San Francisco, but I think the oh, two right. are mutually uh, the same at times when yeah. you're talking, talking through that. Yeah. Well, there you go. So we'll talk about that um, in the next episode and hopefully people that are curious to know about what it looks like to go from uh, core planting team of, of a church in San Francisco and, and previous uh, youth uh, director or youth associate or whatever title you got for being a youth pastor, um, <laughs> what it's like to make whatever that transition title. into tech. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, Tyler, thanks so much. This has been the Weekends Off podcast. Thanks for listening. For more content like this or to get in touch, we are on Instagram at weekendsoffpod, all one word. Also, if you found this episode helpful, please consider sharing these stories with your friends or even consider leaving a review wherever you're listening. Thanks so much.